Hi, you're listening to Lavish Hospitality. My name is Kim. Welcome to my table. And if you have been listening, I usually tell you like what my desk looks like. And you'll be shocked to know that I actually cleaned off my desk and have stacks of books. And my guest today will know all about books because I see her library behind her and it's awesome. But um, we are going to talk today to Julia Higgins, who is a professor at Southeastern Seminary, which is my alma mater. And I just love Southeastern. So I'm very thankful, Julia, that you are joining me. So say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. Thank you for having me, Kim. I'm so glad to just join you today, and congratulations on having your desk uh, cleaned up a little bit. <laughs> no, it's really, I mean, usually it's filled with paintings or things, but I, the other day I was like, I've got to clean it off. So now I have two stacks of books and a bucket of paint. So That's there you awesome. go. It's still in the middle of, I'm working on a on a prayer um, teaching series on like a way to pray and the Lord's Prayer. And so I have a stack probably as high as my laptop like of books, which I know you well know, like having to research and everything and write. So Julia, will you tell us who you are, what you do, and who you live with? Yeah, sure. So I am Julia Higgins. Um, as you mentioned, I serve at Southeastern as a professor. Um, so I am the assistant professor of ministry to women here and the Associate Dean of Graduate Program Administration. So a little bit of a long title, mm-hmm. but basically that means that I get to serve our students here and teach in the Ministry to Women's degree programs. Mm-hmm. We have an MDiv and an MA in Ministry to Women. We also have an MA in Ministry to Women with Biblical Counseling. Okay. And so I teach the core courses for the Ministry to Women's track. Awesome. And then as far as the Associate Degree, uh, Associate Dean, position. I just help Keith Whitfield, our provost, just help him with special projects and things he needs. Like recently, we went through our reaffirmation of accreditation, you know, serving, but that's fun. Oh, (laughs) yeah, because I worked for um, Dr. Owens for a while during an accreditation year back in like 03. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I don't envy anybody who has to do all the documentation for accreditation. Yeah, it's a lot. But, you know, really, we we just try to, like, think of it as these bodies are helping us to be Mm -hmm. better at serving our students. And getting that mindset about it helps to trudge on through. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm also married to Tony Higgins. So Tony is a counselor here in the RDU area. Mm -hmm. He's a biblical counselor. Uh, serves at Bridgehaven, and he's the executive director there and also is a counselor there. Okay. And And can I share a random small story about Tony? Yeah, sure. I do believe this is the case. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me in the middle of a podcast. But did he go to Mount Vernon in Atlanta? He did. He did. We were there um, before we moved to to Augusta. We were there serving with Aaron Minikoff. Oh, wow. So uh, for... Three years, and so when I mentioned it to somebody, somebody was like, "Oh, Tony used to go here." And I was like, "What?" So there you go. Yeah, small world. You know, the Southern Baptist world is so small. It is. It is. Right. I completely agree. Okay, so oh, okay. Do you have any? Do you have a dog? Am I correct? I do. Okay. Yes. So we have a dog, Charlie. He's a Shih Tzu. He's eighteen pounds, full of love. Uh, just loves everybody. He gets to come up here to Southeastern, you know, sometimes so to bring fun. him to work and he hangs out. So it's, you know, great having a dog. It's you so have a fun. dog too, right? We do. We, we just know, just, I am all good with one. Um, 
We just got him in May. He is eight months old and greatly trained. That was our problem before getting a dog because we got one that was a brand new puppy and no training whatsoever. And he's now he lives with a neighbor who's a pastor here in town and the 115, 20 pounds. And this one is fully grown at eight months, maybe. And he's like 18 pounds. He's a mini Australian shepherd. So oh, I love those dogs. Yeah. And he's smart. He was barking today at the mail truck and the people doing the lawn for the neighbor. So yeah. <laughs> but he, I'm not a dog person and my husband yet, but my husband and my boys are definitely dog people. And so you make small sacrifices for something that will bring them great joy. So, yeah. <laughs> but good on you for that. Like, okay. Whew. And I'm usually here, but they do a lot of the work. I mean, we hang out and it's fun, but he's laying over here. He likes to lay on the cool tile in our foyer during the day, just cause it's so cool on him. So he loves that. Okay. We are not talking today about dogs. Um, dogs are great. We are talking today about your new book. Has it come out? Like, this is going to air pretty soon. Like, when did it come out, or when will it, it come actually, out? It actually, yeah, you, so you've got an advanced copy. Yay. Like one of the few people in the world that have one. Yay, uh, I'm so excited. Yeah, so it's coming out on November 1st. Okay, so that's really exciting, because I will, I will be able to air this right when it comes out. So that's so awesome. fun. So it'll, it'll launch um, on birthday book week. So that'll be fun. But it is called Empowered and Equipped. And it is all about, I know there's a different title. I'll get the title right. Bible Exposition for Women Who Teach the Scriptures. And what we're going to talk about today is, is if you, if the, this podcast will be great for two types of women. Women who teach and serve either in the local church or in their home or at the seminary level. This will be a great topic because this is who it's written for because it's for women who teach the scriptures. But say you don't do this and you don't think this podcast will have anything to do with you, but you just have your quiet time every morning. Well, this podcast will be great for you because even in your quiet time, you want to get the scriptures right. So you'll know how to rightly know God and apply it to your life and live out the word of God. So that is what we're talking about. Um, Can you, Julia, describe what hermeneutics is? for us in lay in lay people terms? Yeah, sure. So hermeneutics <laughs> is a great big fun seminary word. I actually remember learning that word and going home and trying to impress my parents with it. <laughs> uh, but basically, it's just the science of interpretation. Hmm. So there are steps to reading in general, right? Mm-hmm. Not just reading the Bible, but to adequately read and understand and comprehend what is written. Um, there are steps mm-hmm. to take. And so biblical hermeneutics what the book about is about is just the proper steps to faithfully interpret what the text is saying so that then you can rightly apply it to your life. Yeah. And why would, why would that be important? I mean, as, as women, I, I, I think I told you this in our brief thing on Instagram, like when I was at Southeastern, I have an MDiv in Christian ed and in that time, I think it changed in 04 when Dr. Aiken came but you did not, in the Christian ed track, even in the MDiv, you did not have to have hermeneutics. And I didn't take it because I'm like, that's a big seminary word. So I took a lot of theology classes. I took a lot of, of education classes, but I didn't take that. So I have learned in the last 10 years how to do hermeneutics. But I've been teaching a lot longer than that. So I think back, I'm like, 
wow, was that teaching? Did I do it right? I mean, and we'll always keep learning. But but why is it important that we get scripture right? Yeah. yeah. You know, that's a great question because we might think, well, that's a class for a pastor or a, mm-hmm. a book for a pastor or even, you know, a, a, a person who's on a church staff. Um, but really, if we come to the scriptures and we don't have the right foundation, mm-hmm. a lot of times what we see, men and women both, we might read the text as if it's first just all about us. Mm-hmm. And this book and other books about hermeneutics really kind of show you the foundation of what the scriptures are and how God used different people mm-hmm. across different time periods to write in different genres of literature within the Bible. So there's all these different kinds of writings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so understanding that, you know, like if I'm going and reading a story about King David, you know, a lot of times the example that's given is, you know, well, then we we take this story, we read it about mm-hmm. David, and we make it about us, yeah. about slaying our giants, right? Uh, that's the one I was going to gonna bring up, yeah. And so it it's coming to the text, understanding that, hey, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of biblical narratives, and these narratives have a trajectory that are pointing towards Christ, sure. the ultimate king, right? Mm-hmm. And so then we look at the text through, hey, David is, is either a picture of Jesus or, you know, sometimes in his fallenness and his sin, he's a picture of us and our mm-hmm. fallen nature and our need for Christ. Um, so it's situating each section of the Bible mm-hmm. in its genre and understanding, you know, how to interpret within the genre. Yeah. So like, for example, like the epistles, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we might take those verses like Philippians, you know, 4.13, I can do all things through sure. Christ who strengthens me. I mentioned that in the book. You mentioned it earlier. <laughs> That's <before>. funny. <laughs> yeah. And we just plaster that verse yep. everywhere and make it about us. And there is an application for us. Sure. But, you know, looking at that in context, Paul's talking about um, his situation in jail. And learning contentment in that mm-hmm. situation and realizing that through his union with Jesus, yeah. he can be content in that situation. Yeah. And that, I think, in a society that, especially Christian church society, that is fueled by Hobby Lobby. And I mean, I have nothing against Hobby Lobby. Love it. Um, spend a lot of money there because I'm an artist, so I need tools. But but or mugs on Instagram or something like that where like a t-shirt says Jesus and coffee. This mama runs on Jesus and coffee and I'm like, "Okay." Um and it's it really bugs the the Bible teacher in me to see all those things and then people like gravitating toward them because I don't know if it's an insecurity that they grab something or I saw like lately Walmart has been having a lot of Christian t-shirts. I guess they have to fill the void from family Christian store that I worked at, but they're filling it. And I'm like, it's almost becoming the mundane because we apply it or we just pull things um, every and put them everywhere on a mug, on a t-shirt. I'm not saying you shouldn't have scripture on a mug or a t-shirt or a wall hanging in your home, but yeah, you're not going to put, Jeremiah versus maybe on like Jeremiah 29 11 is not for graduates. <laughs> it's not right. seated in that. I'm like, um, so does that ever, does that ever bug you or like, 
Self-righteous, not self-righteously, but yeah. I'm using those particular verses, even in the book, like referencing Jeremiah 29, 11, because it's so misused. Yes. You know, if you look at that text, it's about Jeremiah's prophecy Mm -hmm. that they're basically going to come back from uh, being in captivity. And a lot of people, like, I don't know about you, but I started going to a Southern Baptist church when I was in ninth grade. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't have a lot of Bible knowledge that maybe kids would get growing up in the church. And so there was this void there of Mm. not even understanding the history of Israel and what are the major prophets even about. Exactly. So when I got to seminary, I was still kind of confused. It's like, how do you make sense of all of this, this story? Mm -hmm. Um, And so a part of the book, one of the chapters is just kind of condensing the overarching story of the Bible into bite-sized pieces. Mm. You know, we talk about here at seminary, I'm sure you're familiar with the meta narrative, Mm -hmm. the phrase, and just looking at the overarching story of the Bible so that then when we come to those particular texts, we set them in the right location Mm -hmm. so that we can understand what's happening uh, for the people who received that text in particular. You know, because that's what I tell my students a lot of times. It's like, you know, when Paul's writing or Peter's writing a letter, they were writing to real people in real time in a real situation. Mm -hmm. And in some sense, we're kind of reading their mail, you know, yeah. and, and sometimes we just pick up, take verses and make it about mm-hmm. us when it was about something in particular in history. Now it does yeah. apply to us, right? Sure. And it really does. Like I've, the last, probably pre-COVID I started, so going on three or four years, um, taking Simeon Trust workshops and mm-hmm. love, have loved them. I was at one right before the world shut down with Christiana Buile and Abby Bird. And we were in Atlanta and then driving home to Augusta, it was like everything started canceling. And I was like, okay. And they barely got out to like DC um, before all the planes just stopped going anywhere. But, but that has taught me like, be, be, besides context is king, because that I've always kind of heard that like context is king. You've got to know that before anything, but you can't just take it and jump to the gospel or jump to you. Like it has to mean basically the same thing it means to that audience, the original audience, it's got to mean something pretty similar if you're teaching it now and applying it to yourself. It can't mean something totally different. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, we have, I mean, we have a perfect author who's outside of time, who equipped men to write all those verses. And I had never heard the meta narrative that term, in seminary. It just wasn't really around. 20 years ago, biblical theology wasn't really a thing yet as, as it is now. Um, who has this random question, but who has influenced you and your thought the most, especially in theology or teaching? So, you know, um, that's a great question. I, I have learned a lot outside of seminary by listening to a lot of Ligonier products. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, so R.C. Sproul. Yes. And Jen Wilkin wrote your forward, wrote the forward of your book. And I know she's heavily influenced by R.C. Sproul. And my husband did his, most of his, his demon from, from uh, Sproul's Ligonier um, oh, okay. school. So yeah. That. Yep. But, and you're originally, are you from that area where? 
Um, I'm from Lakeland, so it's near, and he, but he's from Atlanta, but um, it was in outside of Orlando, so I was familiar yeah. with it, but he was doing that before we met, so he had D.A. Carson and everything for for Hebrews and Brian Chapel for preaching, just in these, like, eight-person wow. seminars, so he loved yeah. it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's hard to boil it down to one person. I've listened a lot to Sinclair Ferguson. Yes. Um, he's really influenced just the Christ-centered um, nature of, you know, kind of like Brian Chapel. Mm-hmm. When you listen to Sinclair Ferguson, he's always incorporating biblical theology. Mm-hmm. And when you listen to him do particularly Old Testament texts, um, I've just learned over and yeah. over from hearing him how to do that well. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite quotes from Sinclair Ferguson is when he talks about Genesis 3.15, mm-hmm. the first announcement of the gospel sure. where uh, God says to you know Eve that he's going to send basically a serpent crusher that's going to yeah. crush the head of the serpent. Sinclair says that in the same way that Plato, and, uh, in the same way that Western civilization is but a footnote to Plato and Aristotle, hmm. so all of the rest of the Bible is but a footnote to Genesis 3.15. And, that's uh, a great quote. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. No, that's, that is awesome. Um, how long have you been doing ministry in the church? So a little background, I worked at Southern Seminary. So I graduated Southeastern in 03. Um, and then I had a break and I went to the Summit Church there in Durham. Loved it. Did college ministry. Just went on mission trips. Loved life. Thought it was like the, the epicness of life for those four years. It really was a great, great time just seeing seeing what God did, going around the world, working with college kids, um, hearing JD week in and week out. I mean, he's a he's a great Bible teacher, preacher. Um, and then I went to Southern Seminary, and we were talking like if we met, it was maybe one time or so, but talked to you on the phone some because I worked for one of your readers for your dissertation. But we, and we have mutual friends. But how have how have you seen this understanding of hermeneutics and rightly interpreting scripture to teach? How have you seen that shape your teaching over the years? Like as you've done it more and been in different avenues and different ways, how have you seen yourself grow in that? Yeah, that's a great question. Even just to reflect back, and it really starts back in you know. 2001, when I was graduating from college, um, I went to this a state school in my hometown, University of North Alabama, okay. and I had a professor who was um, a Methodist minister, and I was taking one of his classes. He was a history professor as mm-hmm. well, and he used that class to share the gospel, like faithfully share the gospel. Oh, wow, that's awesome. And I thought, man, it's so awesome that an educator can use their classroom as a means for Mm. sharing the gospel. At the same time, I was working at and serving at my local church, and I was a Sunday school teacher for, I had done fourth grade and ninth grade girls. And I discerned through that process that I just loved teaching the Bible, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really know what I was doing. (laughs) And I didn't have really any body equipped me you know it's like they handed me the curriculum they're and like here it. yep teach this. um I'm like okay I love this oh yeah I don't know if I'm doing this rightly <laughs> um so I began to think about education and teaching the bible and dreaming of 
what if, you know, God used me to teach the Bible in a Christian school one day, Hmm. um, just to be able to use that as a ministry to kids. And so I went to seminary and, uh, at the time took a class called principles of teaching one and two. That was basically the hermeneutics there. (laughs) And, uh, And through that process, I really realized that I loved teaching the Bible and I loved that topic. And so the Lord just used that class to strengthen my Mm -hmm. ability in teaching, in particular, the second half of that class Mm -hmm. when we had to develop a lot of lessons and teach them to our classmates. Um, And so I had a professor there that was like, hey, maybe you should consider getting a PhD and then you can come and um, basically be on faculty here and teach for us. (laughs) And so I started working on a PhD and I started teaching as an adjunct and teaching principles of teaching one and two. So uh, the Lord just strengthened my love for my own ability to teach the word Mm -hmm. and increasing my knowledge in that. Like it's a skill that is just continually being developed. I'm still working and learning on it. Um, But I also love teaching that to others, Mm -hmm. like teaching them just the skills that I've gleaned. So even in the book, it's like a conglomeration of seminary professors and K. Arthur mm-hmm. and Gary Bredfelt, you know, people. Yes. See, who I had, have, I had Dr. Bredfelt at Southeastern yeah. back when I was there. He taught probably three or four of my education classes, him and Ken Coley. Yeah. So. And so it's just, you know, we're all learning from mm-hmm. one another and passing those tools on to the yeah. next generation. And so that's just been a little bit of the journey that I'm on. Yeah. Um, do you, do you see in, I'm not asking you to be a prophet, um, but there have been waves of, of different forms of Bible teaching, especially with the platform to use a buzzword of a lot of women teachers. And maybe one day I'll have a podcast on like roles of women in teaching in the church, which I love, but I haven't found any brave, anyone brave enough to want to come on and tackle that with me. Um, but with, with a platform that you can easily have on YouTube, on social media, in your home, I mean, whatever, do you see a lot of women just doing it without the training or? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it seems like especially ministry to women and maybe particular names that we can think mm-hmm. of at the time uh, when they were coming of age and they were Sunday school teachers and then they were small group teachers, whatever the word is you want to use, sure. you know, they, it just, it was a time period where not many women went to seminary. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe when you and I went to seminary, it was like kind of an uptick, whereas yes. now it's just even way more so. Yes, more women. exactly. Um, so I think it's just becoming more popular and more available. Like women just seeing other women doing it and mm-hmm. knowing, Hey, seminary is not just for men. I, I sure. can go and learn too. Because when I went, it was like, you know, you look around in the classroom and it's like, oh, you yeah. gather with the uh, two other women in the room. <laughs> oh yeah. I sat in my first class with David Nelson was a worship theology class and I was the only female in there. And then in matriculation day, um, I had a professor who was leaving that group and I was the only female in the MDiv track and he made a really snide comment. And I'm like, I'm not putting up with this for three years. So that's when I switched to the MDiv with Christian ed. Still, I don't think there were many women in my class that matriculated in January, but it was, it was hard. And 
I mean, it wasn't. Now there's like a ton of women that go to seminary, whether it's online or if it's or if it's just teaching, taking Simeon Trust workshops or the life. I know Lifeway does forums and um, like Matt Chandler's church where Jen Wilkins at. They have like how to teach. They have the institute. So there's a lot of churches really, really honing in on that. Like, hey, there are people who can't really go to seminary that want to learn how to do ministry and learn how to teach the Bible and learn the word. And we need to empower them to use the tool, the name of your book to do that for themselves. So they're not just relying on what the pastor says from the pulpit on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So walk me through what, it, what was maybe your favorite um, topic to write about in the book? Did you have like one that just like, you breeze through it because it was just like flowing so easy, or you just loved it and you can't wait for people to read that chapter. You know, the, one of the chapters that was personally edifying for me was the overarching story mm-hmm. of just going back and actually putting onto paper um, what I believe and what I've been taught, and actually just putting that. Even I'm a visual person, mm-hmm. and so I, I created a chart. And it's in there, that chapter of what it looks like to look at different passages and see how they they fit into the meta narrative, mm-hmm. creation, fall, redemption, mm-hmm. restoration. And so even you know going back and kind of reading through it when I had different um, rounds of edits, it was just like wow, this is just encouraging mm-hmm. to read about God's word and how yeah. um, you know the Bible's written over fifteen hundred years a span of mm-hmm. that. But the Lord used all these different people to have yeah. one cohesive message. And so that was personally edifying. And uh, then one chapter that was challenging is the chapter on doctrinal teaching. Hmm. Um, just learning, because what I want is for women not just to teach in a way that, that it's all about, oh, what we go and do. Okay. But more about who we, that we understand who God is and yeah. that, that the Word reveals who God is. Yes. And so that we teach doctrine, so that women are fortified in their faith. Um, And so that was challenging for me because it's an area that I need to grow in even Mm -hmm. more. And so it's the challenge. Yeah, I think um, like with prayer or even even teaching, like when I I taught Sunday school, I'm I'm helping out with the older women's Sunday school class and like I'm the youngest one in there. The teacher is 27 years older than me or 25 years older than me. So so I'm the youngest one by far. Um, but I went in there and I taught Amos 4. And I'm a curriculum writer. So I really, I looked at the curriculum, but but I didn't, I didn't read it word for word. So I was like, ladies, while I'm reading this passage, it's 13 verses. I want you to think, what does this say about God? And when I started doing that years ago, like systematically, really reading every passage, what does it say about God? How does this help me to know God better? It really opened my eyes to see how much the Bible actually says about God. And it's not just these the stories. I mean, when I was writing curriculum, it was uh, right after I left Southern, so around 2010. And a lot of the curriculum was... Um, how to share better. The story of five loaves and five fishes is all about teaching you how to share. And we're like, no, that's not, that's not the point of the story. Or like you already alluded to, David is not about how you fight your giants and slay your giants. So we were, 
we were countering that trend in Sunday school curriculum. And just doing that week in and week out all the time, like that's what I did for 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week is read a Bible story and try to read it in the meta narrative, in the big picture of the story of what it says about God, of Jesus, of me, of the gospel. And that totally changes how you read the Bible from then on out. Yeah. So. And I love that you did that for your listeners too. Yeah. You know, um, I attend Summit now. So I feel like there's so many ways that our lives happen. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's part of our listening guide for mm-hmm. Summit now for the sermons is just first of all, like as JD's preaching, we're, we're to be thinking about what is this teaching us about God? And it just, you know, you engage your mind so mm-hmm. much more when you're listening to someone teaching and they're asking you to look at the passage and yeah. see what it's teaching you about God. Yeah. And I think one of one of my buddies that was at Southeastern, but he's at a church in Arkansas now, he's always like, if he's reading the scripture from the pulpit, he'll be like, no, no, don't look at me. Look at the Bible. Like, pull out your Bible, open it up, and don't stare at me while I'm reading the scripture. Look down at your Bible and read it for yourself. Yes. Um, okay, so let's let's turn and go slightly like how would I want to say like how how would these two audiences use your book so first talk to the the woman who is teaching sunday school teaching um online maybe teaching um conference conferences teaching in the local church how would she use your book to to really ratchet up because that's the word that came out of my mind. I don't even know. I never used that word. Um, to improve her teaching. How would yeah. she use your book to improve her teaching? Yeah, really, she's going to find two things. It's going to give her a process for studying, a step-by-step process to study the Bible. And it's basically the inductive method that we find in mm-hmm. Creative Bible Teaching by Breadfelt. Yes. Uh, so it's those five steps of observation, uh, interpretation, generalization, application and implementation. Mm -hmm. And so I have chapters on each one of those steps and ways to just look at the text. And when you walk through those five things, by the time you get to that, you're going to end that process and it's going to lead you to the next step of teaching. And so you're going to have a second thing, a process for presentation. And so then I provide even um, the hook book look Mm -hmm. method for developing a manuscript so it can be used in a way for that, that teacher who might be standing up and teaching a large audience with not a lot of, you know, interaction. Sure, lecture style, or, yeah. Right, lecture style. Or you could take that hook, book, look, took process and modify it for a small group setting. And yeah. so she's going to find a process for study and a process for presentation. Okay. Now switch and take the take the woman. And I am learning that... That the older I get, and we realize we're about the same age, the older I get is not is not the time for me to say, okay, I've learned as much as I need to know about the Bible. Now I can just read it and kind of, okay, I've read it. I can journal about it or whatever. And I love journaling. I'm not putting down journaling by air quoting it. I'm really not. And I know listeners can't even see the air quotes, but you did. You saw them. <laughs> so, um, but to really not not taper off in, in how much I want to know the word and get it right. So talk to that person who's sitting in their oversized chair with their cup of coffee that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they're really pretty pen and a journal and a Bible. And how would this book help them? Yeah. 
Well, they're going to find the same process for study, of course. It's going to be a more in-depth process, um, but they're going to find, first of all, in addition to that process, a foundation for why they should enter into that process. Mm. And that's key to know. Yeah. 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 And so that foundation is laid in the first few chapters on the nature of the Bible. Mm. Like, how do we know that it's God's word Mm -hmm. and what are the attributes of scripture? Uh, And then the overarching story that I've mentioned several times. Um, And then now I can't think of the third chapter. It's like escaping me. I'll pull the book out. I have it right here. You take a look at it. The third chapter is the genres of the Bible? Yes. Yeah. And so it will introduce them to the genres uh, where they understand all of the different aspects of the different types of writing. And so it's just going to lay a foundation for then how they enter Mm -hmm. into that process of study. Okay. And just a just give them a snapshot. So if you're studying Psalms, you're going to study it differently than you would Deuteronomy because there one's poetry. Some of Deuteronomy is narrative. Some of it's historical. Some of it's uh, praise like um, poetry, but in a different way because it's his prayer. So how would, how would knowing that Deuteronomy and Psalms are different genres, how would that affect how you study it or even read it in your quiet time? Yeah. Yeah. Like for example, like you mentioned, uh, the Psalms being poetry, and so understanding the different types of poetry um, and how the book of Psalms is divided into different books mm-hmm. and uh, that it's largely like these songs that the people of God would sing as they would go up to the temple mm-hmm. to worship. And so also looking at maybe even the history and the narratives behind some of them, yes. some of them are difficult to understand discern Mm -hmm. but some of them give you hints at the beginning at the top of the song like you know when david was in this situation Mm -hmm. so then just even knowing that hey i can go back and read the narrative account that david was experiencing when he wrote this emotional song for the lord of worship Mm -hmm. and prayer um so yeah just looking at at different types of poetry within the Psalms and even the wisdom literature Mm -hmm. like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I'm going to try to try to wrap this up, leave the two questions, but this is one I did not prepare you for. So hopefully it's okay. You, you haven't been married long. You got married after we got married and I thought like I was really pushing it. And then just that I'm like, I'm never going to get married. And I was 34 and And everything. So we've been married 11 years. How long have you and Tony been married? We have been married since 2019. So we just celebrated our third. Yay. And pre-COVID. So that's what you got to hang out during COVID together. But how how has your relationship with Tony changed how you teach the Bible, how you understand the Bible, or how you look at God? Oh, wow. You know, I know. Sorry. I just (laughs) sprung that on you. No, it's okay. Um, you know, I think marriage teaches us, of course, uh, love and grace for one another. And he's such a godly man and has so much grace and patience and is such a wonderful example of just the character of God. Mm. You know, he's a physical picture for mm-hmm. me of Christ-like love. Um, and so even in that, just thinking about God's unconditional love. When I go and read about God and his character, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm blessed. I'm so blessed and thankful that the Lord gave me a godly husband who 99% of the time 
has godly responses, even when I'm not, you know? Oh, yes. (laughs) I tend to be a little bit quicker in my responses. And I I said quicker, not more, not more biblical, not more right than my husband. So um, he is, he's slower in his response. But even, I mean, I was reading the Proverbs this morning, because I wake up and I try to, I'm trying to do the word before world thing, or like, like uh, Justin early says, like, put scripture before your phone, like before you get all those other things. So I try to wake up, I have it on do not disturb. So nothing's like none of my boxes have come up or anything. So I was reading Proverbs 15. And it's all about like a gentle answer turns away wrath and all these things. I'm like, man, I need to apply this, this, this and came downstairs and it was like chaos getting ready for school. And I'm like, I didn't apply any of those. But I thought about them after the fact, and I'm like, I'm really bad about applying scripture in the heat of the moment, like just when things are stressful. And and Eric is much more like, hey, y'all need to whatever. Like he's very chill about all of it. Um, okay, one other question before I get to you, because I only I only get like this little bit of time. So, um, what does your if you don't mind sharing, what does your quiet time look like? I mean, you're a seminary professor. You teach about God all day or read about God all day. So how do you separate those two and have your quiet time for you and the Lord? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something that I do first off, like first in the day. Um, I actually have my quiet time though when I get to work. So it's not incredibly first, but I, I drive in as I'm driving, I'm listening to praise and worship and I'm praying. Often I'm praying through the Lord's prayer. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that a moment ago. This, the, the actual, not just the words, sure. but like the categories around mm-hmm. what the Lord's Prayer is teaching us. And uh, so then I go through the Bible in a year and pick a plan. And um, Tony is on the same plan and my parents as well. Okay. So yeah, every year we pick a different plan. This year we're doing um, a somewhat chronological. It's the one that Tim Challies okay. puts on his, his website. Um, it's five days a week. And so I'm reading chronologically, kind of helping helping me understand even more yes. the history of Israel, mm-hmm. you know, and how things unfolded chronologically. Um, and so I typically, that means that I'm reading like four chapters a day. Yeah. Um, and that can be a lot sometimes. And so and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, we just got right. through that. Like I'm in Daniel. Yeah. It's, yeah, it can be a yeah, lot. And Isaiah, <laughs> and it's just, you know, whoa, these chapters have a lot of verses. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so I, usually I just, you know, hone in on one verse or two, um, and really just meditate on that throughout the day. You know, like three weeks ago in, in the new Testament portion, we were in, uh, first Corinthians three, mm-hmm. and it just really hit me about how we've been given, I think it's chapter two or three, we've been given uh, the mind of Christ Mm. through the spirit. And so I just, you know, latch on to these things Mm. that when I'm reading and the spirit begins to tug at my heart and just meditate on those verses. Um, The other thing that I really like to incorporate is I grew up, so I mentioned that I didn't join a Southern Baptist church until I was in ninth grade. Mm -hmm. So my history before that was in the Episcopal church, Mm. mainline Protestant. Okay which wasn't a lot of gospel centrality mm-hmm. there, but there was a liturgy mm-hmm. that um, is still very helpful for me in the book of common prayer. Yes. I love, I love it. 
Yeah. yeah. And so I, I often do the daily office or some form of that. So reading through prayers from, you know, people in the mm-hmm. early church and praying those and praying the Psalms and, you know, verbally mm-hmm. saying the confessions out loud. It's just, yep. I love doing that. Yeah. Shortly before COVID, I started listening to Common Prayer Daily. It's a podcast. Oh. And I have, we have several common book of common prayers, but a lot of them are so confusing for me because I'm like, wait, what day are we? So mm-hmm. I, I loved Common Prayer Daily because it was going and it kind of d- took the work out of it for me. So then I could listen to it on my walk and just, just especially the confessions or prayers or Psalms, you, it becomes habit. I mean, not in a bad way, but like, I didn't always have to think about what I'm saying. It was just, I found myself memorizing it and I loved yeah. it. And so yeah. I'm, my husband and I are all about liturgy, and yes. um, we don't see it much. Every church, of course, has a liturgy, but not in the sense that we're talking about. So we we love that, and hopefully, as one of his professors at Southern said, Chip Stam, who passed away when we uh, right before we got engaged, but he always said a church needs to have a warm liturgy, so not the cold, stale, dead liturgy but a warm, hospitable one that brings in the love of Christ that has not lost its effect. So I always love that. That's Um, great. You know, the other day I was telling Tony, I was like, when I do this liturgy, when I go through the daily office, you know, I just feel like it really helps me even sometimes with anxiety. mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't really know why that is. And he was like, well, it's because you're getting your mind off yourself and you're looking to God. I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And especially as someone who struggles with anxiety more than some, like Mm -hmm. I need those things that will take, Mm -hmm. especially if it's being said to me and not read, I can listen to it differently than not get so wrapped up into, into my own head. So, okay. Julia, I end every podcast with some questions. This, this series, the, the questions are the first one is what is the last best book you read? Okay. So I'm almost done with this book. And I actually saw that somebody else mentioned it on your podcast recently. Okay. So apologize for that. But <laughs> Delighting in the Trinity is just a phenomenal yes. book by Michael Reeves. And I've been going through it with a, a student here at Southeastern. Okay. We've been reading it together. And I really just picked up that book because of what I mentioned with um, the chapter on doctrinal teaching. Yes. It's just like a lot of my knowledge of the Trinity, of, of the Godhead was based on attributes. Okay. Um, because I'd gone through Wayne Grudem's systematic, yep. you know, in seminary. And a lot of his chapters on who God is, is mm-hmm. about attributes, which is wonderful. Sure. But delighting in the Trinity really is just answering that question. You know, it's why is God three in mm-hmm. one? And it's, I mean, delighting is the right word because yeah. it has just, man, caused me when I'm singing songs now in chapel yes. or even um, at, at church or even when I'm reading in my daily quiet time, it's just really shaped and changed my mind yeah. and uh, brought me into greater fellowship with the Lord. Well, and my kids always test me on my Trinitarian knowledge because they'll be like, well, God died. And we'll be like, no, Jesus died. Well, God, it like, we'll just have these topics or they'll be saying, well, God did this. And I'm like, no, actually Jesus did this, but they're all three in one. So it's, I need Bruce Ware, like just in my house to, to walk us through all these Trinitarian questions. But the Knowing Faith podcast, um, they were, 
I was, they just started a whole series on the doctrine of God, but they're like, we just need to like buy delighting in the Trinity because we talk about it so much. So yes, I I need to get that book. I told my mom about it and I was like, I mean, it's one of those books where you want to buy cakes and just hand them out to people. Well, I think I might need to do that. Um, Yes. And the girl that, that mentioned it, she's at DTS doing seminary. So, but it's not just a seminary book and it's, yeah, it's really good. So I will look forward. I do need to put that on, put that on my list of things to read because I have nothing else to read. And yeah, um, you probably run into that too. But the last question I have for you before I let you go is what is your favorite thing about fall? Yeah, I think this is a funny question because you're assuming that I love fall. And you may but. not. So <laughs> that I no, don't but I, Sure. I actually do love fall. Uh, just wanted to teach you. <laughs> well, um, I hope everybody, like, even if you hate pumpkin spice lattes, like, I, I'm not a huge pumpkin spice latte fan, but yeah. Yeah. No, I can't imagine anyone hating fall. Yeah. Like, how, how would that be possible? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, but no, my favorite thing about fall is SEC football. So I. See, but we're I pulling just, for two different people, though. Are we? Yeah. Are, we Are you Auburn or Alabama? I'm an Auburn fan. Auburn. I'm a Gator. Okay. So, okay. yeah, I didn't know if you were a Gator or if you were a Dogs fan. No, my husband's family is total dog, and my husband could care less. So we very seldom watch football. But I grew up in SEC football. Florida Gator is the only people you cheer for. So. Yes. But I'm glad you're not Alabama because usually we have the same inkling of of um, we cheer for everybody who's playing against Alabama. And I know yes. that Auburn's the same way. I mean, if you cheer for everybody playing playing Alabama. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I think now probably in the SEC, like we're all just collectively cheering yes. against Alabama. <laughs> oh yeah. Eh, yeah. I won't tell you the amount of frustration I had the other night when they ended up winning by like a point. It's like yes. seriously, why couldn't y'all just help us out? <laughs> I know. I was just like, this just always oh. happens. Like, why? <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, I am coming your way. Are you going to be at the bake sale, craft sale, um, the first Saturday of November? You know, I was just telling somebody this morning, I have never gone to that before. Oh, well, now you need I, to come because, like, yeah. cause we can see each other. <laughs> yes, I will make plans to come. But it's the, it's the first, I'll probably post this right before that. So it's the, um, it's the first Saturday of November. It's a free event. It's where students, alumni, faculty, student wives can come and sell. It's a market, like especially for fall and winter going into Christmas season, Thanksgiving. So I will have I will have my stuff there, but I would love, yeah, come by, say hi. Awesome. So Yes, I would love to do that. Okay. Thanks, y'all, for listening. If you need to find Julia, Julia, will you tell them how they can find you in the socials or any anywhere? Yeah. So on Twitter, Instagram, Twitter and Instagram, my handle is Julia B. Higgins. And then I'm on Facebook as Julia Bickley Higgins. Okay. And then, yeah, if you have questions about seminary, you can email me at yeah. jhiggins at sebts. Dot edu, or you can find me on the website there, sebts.edu. Awesome. One funny Southeastern story. I worked um, for Ryan Hutchinson. Um, he was my he was my boss for the longest time at Southern, I mean at Southeastern. 
but I answered the phone. So I was the voice of Southeastern Seminary for the longest time because I answered the phone when they'd call into the switchboard. And everybody says Southeastern. Hey, thanks for calling Southeastern, Southeastern Baptist, whatever, Southeastern Seminary. He was like, Kim, your job is to say, thank you for calling the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. How can so I'm like, that's a mouthful. Yeah. So yeah. he was always making sure I didn't just say, thanks for calling Southeastern. How can I help you? Yeah. So anyway, y'all, thanks for listening. And Julia, it was good to talk to you. And we'll get this out there and just help people be encouraged and empowered and equipped by your book to teach rightly the word of God. Yeah, thank you. It was a joy to be here. Thank you.